Thank you for joining us with these podcasts. They are designed to challenge us in the Christian faith. We hope that they do that for you. And we also hope that sometime you will join us at First Christian Church in Malvern. May God bless you. Hello there, Discipleship Class. We're uh, glad that you have joined us for another session. And this one happens to be one of my favorite topics, which is a topic of Bible reading and Bible studying. Topic 23 talks about being rooted in God's truth. You know, we, we as Christians believe that the Word of God is true. And uh, our, our memory verse is found in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Isn't it fantastic that, that we have the word of God, the truth that's been put down on paper so that we can study God's truth, God's word. Um, I mean, what can be said about the Bible that hasn't already been said? That is a question they ask. Uh, there are those who, who uh, have called it names. Uh, there have been fans that calls it uh, the owner's manual for life, the letters from home, uh, even the story of God. And how he loves us. And meanwhile, God's word will talk about itself as being indispensable, life-saving, life-changing, life-enhancing, a revelation from God. So to help us grasp all that that it is said of itself, we're going to look at a couple of things. Before we do, let's have a word of prayer together. Father God, help us as we study about your word. Help us as we study your word. And Lord, may our hearts burn to know your word. May our hearts burn within us to to seek God's face and to understand him more fully. We thank you. We thank you, God, for your presence right now as as we learn and as we challenge ourselves. Uh, Father, you challenge us. You help us. You help us turn to, to look inside our souls. And we thank you for your presence. Be with us now and teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it is, it is no wonder that uh, in studying about Bible reading that Psalm 119 would be uh, mentioned. Because Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the Bible. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting scripture that has 176 verses to that chapter and it's all about meditating on God's word on the law meditating on uh, uh, g- prayer 
but it especially deals with the word of God and his rules, his statutes, uh, his commandments. And each section in this book starts with a letter from the Hebrew alphabet. Now, you'll, you'll notice at the beginning, Aleph, you'll see that in the beginning of the chapter of uh, one, 119 Psalm. And you'll see these other uh, words with funny symbols. Well, those symbols are the Hebrew letter for that alphabet. And so this is done in a very poetic way. Every letter of the alphabet stands for something about God's word and his commandments. So in case you never knew that, just sometimes sit down and read just the entire chapter, all 176 verses of Psalm 119. And I guarantee you really will be blessed by God. The word of God says a lot. Uh, The word of God is called the bread. It's necessary for life. It's more precious than gold and silver. And if you've never studied how we got our English Bible, you need to do that because the Bible was outlawed. Men died so that we could have the word of God. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing to study. Uh, the word of God is a fire, Jeremiah says that. It's uncontainable. It's able to consume what is dead, and it makes it alive again. The word of God is called a hammer, and it's able to penetrate through hard heads shattered hard hearts the word of god can do things that we cannot with our words well there it's called honey Uh, it's delightful to our senses it's called a lamp it lights our way and it it lights up so that we can see sin and evil Uh, it's called meat It nourishes us. It's profound truth. It's also called milk to help baby believers grow. It's a mirror. It shows us that what we truly look like inside. When we compare ourselves not with each other, but with the Word of God and what the Word of God says, we realize that that we are not quite as good as we thought we were. It is called the seed. You may remember the, the seed that was sown and some fell by the rocky soil. Uh, the, it's the word of God, that seed. It grows and can bear much fruit in our lives. And as Kenny begins to uh, preach on the armor of God, Uh, The word of God is the sword in that armor in Ephesians 6, 17. Also, it's mentioned in in Hebrews 4, 12. That is our weapon in fighting the spiritual battles. Jesus did that. Jesus quoted the word of God when he was being tempted. 
So the, the word of God is so very important in our 10 spiritual disciplines that shape a disciple. It's called water. It washes us. We are to wash ourselves with the word of God all over completely. And uh, God's word can truly impact our lives. When we have hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating, praying. And that leads to uh, discipling, to teaching, to preaching, to obeying, sending, reminding. If you look at the book of James, turn with me in the New Testament to the book of James. And uh, if, you, if you look at James... And you begin to, to uh, take the first verse, uh, Hebrews, James, chapter 1, in the first chapter. Look at the 21st um, verse. Look at that. He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. The word of God is able to save your soul. And then look at the very next passage of scripture here. In the next verse, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So in order for this to change us, in order for the word of God to truly get into us, we have to live out the word of God. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I wish God would speak to me. Well, he has through his word. Have you turned to the word of God to hear God's voice? If you, if you want to know the heart of God and you want to do his will, the word of God will lead you in that way. A disciple's a student. He's one who practices the word of God. So let's talk about reading the word here a little bit. That's one of the fundam fundamental ways that we process information. And we learn knowledge of God. Um, there's a chart here that gives us an example in a scripture. They emphasize here the importance of reading God's word. Listen to this. God commands, God's command to Israel's future kings that they must be immersed in divine truth. Did you know that? To be, to be a leader in Israel it was so necessary that they be immersed in the truth in God's uh, uh, word. It says he must always keep that copy with him. Read it daily as long as he lives. That way when uh, he will learn to fear the Lord, his God, by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. That's Deuteronomy 17, verse 19. We are told that 
we are to immerse ourselves into obeying his word. Now, Ezra was a priest, and uh, the priest's plan for helping his countrymen grow in their faith um, after the exile. You may remember that, that Israel had been taken away from the homeland by the Babylonians, and for 70 years they were in captivity. When they were brought back, Ezra the priest was with them. And listen to how important it was that they pay attention to the word of God. In Nehemiah uh, chapter 9 verse 3, it says, They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. For three hours they stood there listening to the commandments of God. Then for three more hours they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. That's six hours. Imagine going to church and it's a six hour long lesson. Wow. Well, the Apostles Paul's command to Timothy as a young pastor, and he was Paul's protege, says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. That's 1 Timothy 4.13. Paul is told, that, uh, told Timothy to read the Scripture. Uh, now, what stands out to you from these examples, anything in particular? I mean, what are your own habits when it comes to Bible reading? And if you're not a regular Bible reader, why not? What holds you back? Well, you know, sometimes you, you say, I just don't know, it confuses me at times. Well, don't let that stop you. Keep reading. Because the more you read about in the Word of God, the more you read it, answers will come. It may not come right away, but you'll find the answer maybe later on. Uh, <clears throat> seven ways to read God's Word. Number one, prayerfully, before you begin, ask God to speak. And ask him for ears to hear that you can understand. Now, secondly, read it expectantly. Read it expectantly. Believe that God wants to speak to you even more than you want to hear from him. And then listen for his voice. Now, read it devotionally. See, see your Bible reading as a personal time with God instead of an assignment. You see, so many times when we read through the New Testament a year or we read through the Bible in a year, we're viewing that as an assignment. And that's the wrong way to approach the Word of God. You need to realize that this is your personal time with God. He's going to talk to you through the word of God. Read it through. Pray it in. Leave it, uh, live it out and pass it on. 
George Gritter. Well, number four, read it slowly. Don't be in a rush. You know, this isn't a race to get done so that you can say, I've, I've read the book. Don't do that. You don't need to get a prize for finishing your, your reading. So when, when you're reading, number five, uh, take your time and read it comprehensively. Okay, what, what do I mean by that? Well, if you, if you took a novel or uh, a work of nonfiction, okay, and you opened it to page 134 and you start reading there, or you only read the first four chapters, well, why do we do that with the Bible? You know, resist the urge to read randomly, Okay, read through a book at a time. You might consider starting with the Gospels. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And don't ignore the big sections of Scripture. And then consider reading all of the Bible. You might want to start off just with the New Testament. But there's going to be things you don't understand because the Old Testament actually explains why they did some things in the New Testament. But that's the best way to get the truest sense of who God is, uh, not just bits and pieces of God's word. Now, sixth, read it regularly. Exercising once every three weeks is better than nothing, but such sporadic training uh, a regime isn't likely to get you in a great physical condition, is it? In the spiritual way, you need to do this regularly. Occasional Bible reading isn't the best way to cultivate your relationship with God. So, you know, you, you need to do this regularly. Uh, seventh, how about obediently? Now, that's kind of hard sometimes because if you approach the Word of God and you say, I will do whatever God commands me, that can be a, a challenge. But that's, that's the seven ways. You know, if you read it as the authority that it truly is, then you'll obey it. So, as you study the Bible, and you begin to study the Bible, you're a disciple of Jesus. He is the word that became flesh, by the way. Uh, to understand Jesus and to understand God's word, we need to, to read the Bible and then to align our, our lives with what God has revealed and commanded. Have you ever noticed some people just, they do not respect authority. When we approach the Bible, the Bible is the authority. And, and we need to obey it. Uh, I like this. What intimidates you most about studying the Bible? Well, I remember when, when I began to study the Bible as a, as a uh, high school person to when I started getting serious about the Bible. I, uh, what intimidated me was when I read something and didn't understand it. I, I wanted to get hung up there. You know, and, 
And uh, my preacher told me, just keep reading. You'll come to an answer. So Bible study is, is very important, and we've got to learn to apply it to our life. Now, there's all kinds of ways to approach Bible study. But here's the simplest. It's clearest. It's number one, observe God's word. Number two, interpreting God's word. And number three, applying God's word. We need to do all three of these things in order to study the Bible properly. Um, we, we got a chart here that shows the differences between these three phases of Bible study, observing, interpreting, and uh, applying or application. Here's, here's Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things from your law. Now, in interpreting this, what's it truly saying? How about make me understand the way of your precepts? And I will meditate on your wondrous works. That comes from Psalm 119, 27. Help me understand. Open my eyes. Here's the application. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. That's found in Psalm 119, 60. So in asking, what, what, what does it say? Okay, and then you'll say, what does it mean? And then you'll say, what do I need to do? You'll take the word of God, you'll probe it, you'll begin to meditate on it, you'll begin to ponder it, and then you start practicing it. You begin exploring, you begin explaining, you begin exercising. You discover the verse, you begin to digest it, take it in. Uh, many of the prophets... Uh, especially in the, in the prophecies of those who were told to take a scroll and eat it. That meant digest it. And then do it. It becomes part of you. You, you see it, you understand, and then you obey. Well, here's a sample Bible study. This is, this is I call this the miracle of understanding. This uh, Bible story is very different from the ways that Jesus had done miracles before. It's found in, in Mark 8, 22 through 26. And here's the passage. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. You see what they're asking him to do, touch him, bring healing. But he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Hmm. Must have been a purpose in leading him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on them, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. 
They look like trees walking around. And once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, uh, don't even go into the village. Now, let's do this observing, this step one. Observing God's word. Pray. Ask the Spirit of God to be your teacher. You see, God is the great teacher. And ask him to guide you into truth. Ask God for eyes to see. And then read. Read that passage. Don't skim it. Read it. The way you'd click and scroll, don't, don't do it the way you would do the internet looking for something to catch your eye. Study the scene like a detective. And then ask yourself, what, what do I see? Well, take a note of the details and uh, read the, the passage maybe a second, third time. Now, don't read things into the text but try to draw out every relevant detail from the text. You say, well, what do you mean don't read anything into the text? Well, okay, let's, let's take this passage we read. I guess when we're supposed to heal, we're supposed to spit on people. I mean, is that what Jesus is trying to tell us? I mean... Oh, and he said, don't go in the village. But Jesus must have wanted the villagers to, to uh, not believe. Okay, that's reading things into the text. The next part is question. Uh, a Bible student should bombard the text with questions. So we've got the 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 questions we need to ask and record your observations write them down don't lose those aha insights by trusting them to your memory jot them down now the the questions you generally will ask as you study is who what where when why and how those are the questions you need to ask like who who is mentioned or involved here is there someone that is the primary uh, character, the, the, the hero of the story? Or if you ask the what, what's going on or what's being said? What is the context for these events? What happened just before this? What is the sequence of events? I mean, what's around the events? And, and if you look... At Mark chapter 8, where this comes from, let's, let's take a look at Mark chapter 8. Let's, let's take a look, and we may even have to go, you know, into um, chap, uh, the other previous chapter to see what's happening. So, turn to uh, Mark chapter 8. Uh, oh, I see in 7 that there seems to be 
the Pharisees, he's having trouble with the Pharisees and their traditions. Uh, they had come from Jerusalem uh, and they're, they're upset with the disciples because they're not doing the traditions of the Pharisees. And Jesus talks to them about this. He actually rebukes them. But he then begins to talk about the heart of man in there. And he says, they're, not la they're lacking understanding. And they, they're, they're living out of their heart evil things. And wow, in this story, you see the woman here, uh, Syrophoenician woman. She's she's a Gentile, and uh, there's a there's a demon in her daughter, and this is really a Gentile. And Jesus goes over and beyond, and here's four thousand uh, people that he feeds. Here's Peter's confession. Uh, Jesus is asking, uh, who do people say I am? And finally, you know, he gives a list of what people think. And finally he says, well, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And in this particular story, he, he tells Peter, all about the um, who he is, and and as you look at this, you know, he says uh, you've got to give up yourself. Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life, in other words, gives up everything for me, and the gospel will save it. So all things are possible. So when you look at those chapters, isn't that an interesting thing? And when you come to that eighth chapter, he, he says, Do, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten about the meaning of feeding 4,000 people? And the, the disciples are arguing that they don't have any bread. And he says, you haven't learned your lessons. You haven't learned the meaning of the feeding of 4,000 people. God will provide. You don't understand. This man comes to him, and they, he's blind, and they brought him to uh, Jesus and he takes him by the hand he takes him out of the village and he does this gradual miracle to the point where he finally sees it's kind of an understanding that comes his way you know at times the disciples didn't believe it took them a while to realize truly who Jesus was. 
So you begin to ask these questions. What's happening around this scripture? Is Jesus trying to teach us something through this miracle? When is this happening? Where is it happening? Why is it happening? How do the people respond? So jot those things down, you know? And, and interpret God's word, if you look at this. Once you've done the hard work of gathering the facts, um, objectively asking what does it say or what do I see, it's time to begin asking what does this mean? Now suppose a friend studying Mark 8, 22 through 26 with you said the following things that were meaningful in the passage. How would you respond? Listen to this one. Apart from the intercession and intervention of others, sick people will never experience Jesus' healing touch. Verse 22, they cite that. And they came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and entreated him to touch him. Well, that's not quite right, is it? Their interpretation? That, that uh, apart from the intercession and intervention of others, sick people will never experience Jesus' healing. It takes more than one person to heal? Is that what that's saying? It takes more than one person to bring uh, about healing? Or people aren't here healed until they first agree to take Jesus' hand? Verse 23 or spitting on people with disabilities helps them find healing. Oh boy. Or when it comes to healing broken people, Jesus works in unique and unexpected ways. Well, some may be true. A divine healing is not always instantaneous. It doesn't always happen right away. When you look at this particular passage of Scripture... You see, it didn't happen right away. And you've got to ask yourself, why? Or how about this? When Jesus takes us out of a bad situation and changes us, he does not want us to go back into that same situation. And he cites verse 26 where he's told, don't go back to the village. There could have been a number of reasons why Jesus did that. I'm not sure that was one. Verse 23, he had taken him out of the village. Jesus wanted this as a private moment, maybe. Well, scholars call this, 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 this science of interpretation hermeneutics. And uh, it takes a discipline, hermeneutics. There's principles to follow. And, uh, and or, so that you do not have the wrong interpretation. Uh, if you disregard these rules of interpretation, of hermeneutics, you can come up with some unbiblical ideas. So interpreting a passage, uh, we're asking, what does God intend to communicate here? We're not asking... What do I feel this passage means to me? It's not about you. It's about what God wants to communicate. 
So let's take a look at how we can uh, avoid wrong Bible interpretations. Uh, leave our preconceived notions, our presuppositions behind. Number one. Number two, we've got to beware of trying to force a passage to fit our pre-existing beliefs. We have to be open. Disciples should always base their belief on what the Bible says rather than interpreting the Bible in accordance with their beliefs. You know, we were talking uh, in staff today, and I said so many times, we are made in God's image, but so many times in our pride, we say that God is made in our image. In other words, we want God to be what we perceive. And that's wrong. That means we, we don't humble ourselves to his authority. We try to make him fit our mold. Number three, resist getting overly creative. There's a temptation to look for some mysterious, hidden, symbolic meaning um, that no one has ever discovered. Now, that can be dangerous, you know. Be careful of things like that. And here's, to me, one of the very important ones. And that's why sometimes in my teaching, I know I get carried away with historical, cultural things of the day, um, the type of grammar that is used. And uh, God's word is timeless, and we understand that. But there's all kinds of literature in God's word. I mean, it was compiled over 2,000 years in various regions of the world, of near the Near Eastern, Mid-Eastern cultural settings by some 40 different human authors wrote, writing in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. If we insist on reading it through our uh, 21st century Western eyes, we're going to misunderstand the meaning. So we need to ask a lot of questions. Ask and answer a lot. What kind of literature is this? Poetry? Is it history? What about prophecy? Is it wisdom? You know, we got to look. Uh, we got to look at all of this. Is, is the... Is the narrative uh, instruction or is it a, just a story or is it simply telling about things that happen in a unique setting? Is it a perspective showing what should happen in all places at all times? Use all of Scripture, the whole of Scripture, to interpret parts of Scripture. You know, if, if there's a verse of Scripture that, that you say doesn't agree with another verse of Scripture, something is wrong with your interpretation. You could be on dangerous ground. Always use clear passages 
to help us grasp the meanings of the unclear passages. In our Mark 8 passage, there's no other healings recorded in the Gospels which show Jesus laying his hands on a person for a second time. We're probably not wise to read too much into this unique fact. In fact, there may be a valid interpretation that Jesus does deal uniquely with people. Consider the context of a statement or passage. For example, to understand Jesus' command to the healed man, don't go into the village, we need to look at a comparable passage in Mark's gospel. Uh, 144 or Mark 519 verse 43 or even in Matthew 8 4 and also in 16 chapter 16 20 in Matthew there were reasons that that uh, people wanted to make him king uh, right away so that he would overthrow the government so so you see that there are certain things that that just cannot happen. Jesus was not ready yet to be arrested and taken to Jerusalem or going to Jerusalem and being crucified. Now, if you have a trustworthy commentary, be careful of some of the doctrine of various groups. It's... uh, Commentaries are okay to get backgrounds. I've used commentaries many times to understand the culture which uh, something was written in. Um, You can make use of those, but be careful with commentaries. Uh, So based on the rules of interpreting Scripture, what do you think of the friend's interpretations of Mark 8, 28 through 26. What do you think? What would you suggest as the meaning or interpretation of that story in Mark 8, 22 through 26? Now, once you have that interpretation, that's good. You have gathered this information up. But how are you going to apply it? And that's step three. And that is the part that many times we fall short in, applying God's word. That is a crucial step. That is the step that Satan does not want you to do. You got to live it out. You got to be, as James said, doers of the word. Now, though a single verse or passage Uh, never has multiple interpretations or meanings. It can and does have a variety of different possible uh, applications. If you were in a men's group and you were studying Ephesians 5.25, the command to love your wives just as Christ loved the church, now that, that is a timeless principle. I mean, it is a principle that just doesn't change. There's husbands are called to love their wives unconditionally, sacrificially. But their individual applications of that principle 
will work, maybe look, work or look very different. As an example, Bob has decided to back out of his fishing trip, stay home and do the honeydew list for his wife. She's been begging him to do that for, for months. Or maybe Stephen applies it in a different way. He feels nudged to apologize to his wife Ellen for being a slob. And maybe he hasn't helped around the house like he should. He, he wants to give her a weekend at a nice hotel. You see, his approach was different. So how do you find that, those good applications? Well, after you've taken the Bible passage and you've prayed about it and you've observed it and you find that nugget of truth there, what God meant to convey through it, you need to state that truth in the form of a broad now principle like the guys did. They did something now. And that serves as a kind of a bridge between interpretation and application. In our passage of Mark 8, 22 through 26, here's the observation. When some people brought a blind man to Jesus and requested he touch and heal the man, Jesus did so in two phases. Here's the interpretation. Jesus demonstrated unique compassion and power to those who needed his touch. He did touch him, didn't he? I mean, couldn't Jesus have just spoken and it would have happened? This person did need that touch. So what broad, timeless principle do you see in this passage? I see a a very compassionate Jesus. One who's willing to work on my level because he loves me. Well, what, what applications do you get from this story of Jesus healing that blind man? So you, you may want to take a look at that. Well, let's, let's reflect now. To grow faithfully as a disciple of Jesus you got to practice reading and studying God's word. That's one of the ten spiritual disciplines that you have to do. So, John Wesley said, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end he came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book, and he gave me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. Now, Dwight L. Moody was, was a fabulous preacher during the day, and he comments on why and how to study the Bible. He said, someone has said there are four things necessary in studying the Bible. Admit, submit, commit, and transmit. <laughs> Admit, submit, commit, and transmit. 
What we need as Christians is to be able to feed ourselves. How many there are who sit helpless and listless with open mouths, hungry for spiritual things, and the minister has to try to feed them while the Bible is a feast prepared into which they never venture. You will really grow when you read God's word. Depend upon it, my friends. If, if you get tired of the word of God, it becomes wearisome to you, wearisome to you. You're out of touch and communion with him. The more you love the scriptures, the firmer your faith is going to be. And people, that's why I try to uh, express the importance of Sunday school. It is so very important. So, you know, please get into Sunday school. Learn. Bear in mind, there's no situation in life for which you cannot find some word of consolation in the scripture. So persevere, grow. Few grow because you don't study. When I pray, I talk to God. But when I read the Bible, God is talking to me. And it is really more important that God speak to me than I speak to him. We may not believe that, but that is true. I believe we, we should know better how to pray if we knew our Bibles better. We'd already know the answers to some of our prayers. So, I thank God there is height in the Bible. Uh, I do not know anything about a depth that I have never been able to fathom. And it makes the book of all, all the more fascinating. These quotes about God's word. So, memorize that Psalm 119, uh, verse uh, number, verse 105, 105, talking about the word of God. And that whole chapter, as I said, is so very important. But remember, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path memorize that take a look at how to study the Bible and uh, do do memorize scripture uh, many times we think we cannot memorize scripture we've got the Holy Spirit to help us I have a Bible app to help me memorize scripture does it in steps and uh, it you know we of all the information all the facts you've already stored in your mind all the passwords all the pin numbers all the funny lines from the movies all the phone numbers the important dates like your anniversary and addresses you mean you can't include the word of God? Well, some of you know the lyrics of all the songs. You may know them by heart. And the only question is, will we do it? Will we memorize? Well, why does it matter? 
It's because we take the word of God inside and we store it inside, not just a book. Verse 11 in, in Psalm 119 says that that gives us victory over sin. When we hide God's word in our hearts, it gives us victory. And when Jesus was tempted, did he not quote scripture? Shouldn't we? Now, when's the best time to memorize? Well, that's kind of up to you, isn't it? You know, do it when you can focus. Do it when you can concentrate. Well, how much should I memorize? Well, <laughs> don't try to memorize everything in a week. You know, shoot for one or two verses and keep reviewing them. Then my app It'll bring it up, and I will review that, that verse of Scripture. Pick out the verse you intend to memorize. Read the chapter that contains the verse. That'll help you understand the context. And then uh, include the reference. By that I mean if it's Psalm 119, 105, say that. Say that before you read the verse. Say it after you've finished it and then you'll remember those numbers read the verse several times out loud and then sometimes break the verse down into chunks and that will help you put it all together okay instead of just trying to read it as a whole break it down and you can put it on a card or on your phone um, the mind's in in my phone it helps you get it in your mind and then review over and over several times a day. And uh, that's all there is to it. Now, final reminder, God's going to help you. God will help you memorize. He wants his word to take root in you in good fruit. I mean, good soil to bear good fruit. He wants that to happen, and he's going to help you. Important lesson on the Word of God, the ten spiritual disciplines that shape a disciple. Well, that deals with the Word of God. We must be grounded. Well, God bless you. I hope you have a great time. And, and I pray that God will give you strength and give you wisdom. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. We hope that you will join us at First Christian Church of Malvern, which is located at 4046 Coral Road, Northwest in Malvern, Ohio. May God bless you and have a great day.